If you like to gamble, I tell you I'm your man. You win some, lose some, it's all the same to me. Hello and welcome to the Motorcast, the official Motorhead podcast. I am your host, Howard H. Smith. You may know me as lead singer of UK thrash band Acid Rain. You may know me from my own podcast, Talking Bollocks. Um, You can check all those podcasts out by clicking my name in the description of the link of this podcast. However, on this particular cast, I am your guide through the world of all things Motorhead. And what a world it is. Um, Been in touch with you guys. You keep uh, messaging the podcast uh, and myself on social media it's all been positive I'm looking at Motorhead's uh, social media you really seem to be digging the podcast and that is very very cool um, what you are also digging is the fact that there is a for the first time ever career spanning best of of Motorhead that is available it's the first career spanning um very best of Motorhead that's been released and it's called Everything Louder Forever. It's the definitive collection of their loudest anthems. It's out on the 29th of October. It's available on, get this, a deluxe fold-out quadruple LP gatefold and a gatefold double LP as well as two CDs as well as streaming and 3D audio. It's available on all of those formats. So if you haven't already pre-ordered it, pre-order it. And if you're listening to this after the 29th, I'm presuming you already have it. So what is going on in the world of Motorhead this time? Well, this time I have got an interview with Grammy-nominated, award-winning producer and producer of four Motorhead albums, Howard Benson. We had a really cool chat. Howard was really accommodating. He had a um, he had a session that was starting not long after this interview, but he managed to squeeze in a bit of time to have a chat about Motorhead and a, really, most of all, a chat about Lemmy. But let's let's hop right to it. How did you end up working with Motorhead? Uh, Todd Singerman brought me in. Todd was, uh, let me change glasses here because I can't see anything. Uh, Todd was managing, I don't even know how it happened. I don't even know how Todd found me. Somehow, I think Lemmy liked a record I did called Bang Tango, which was a hairband from the 19, late 90s or the late eighties. And, uh, you know, honestly, I think at that time, Tom Panunzio was their producer and a couple other guys. And and he was just chasing producers out of the studio. Lemmy at that point, like there was not a whole lot of, uh, you know, uh, people had a hard time with him and I was looking for work. I was like, had no hit records really at the time. And, uh, but I had some significant records that were creatively significant, but they weren't like, you know, music, they didn't like sell a ton of records. But yeah. Lemmy was not quite that enamored by that kind of thing. You know, like he is one thing I'll say about him. He uh he didn't give a shit, you know, like he just <laughs> either you like he liked you or he didn't. Yeah. yeah. So um I think what happened was I started I, I just I remember meeting him and uh we had a deadline for bastard, I mean the record that would be bastards, and I went into the studio and that was like a game changer for me working with him because my like I used to you know, work with artists that were easy to work with. He was really, really, really brutal to work with. Not in a way that was like, he wasn't an asshole, but his his um, habits and just the way he acted 
And, uh, you know, just, it was like high, it was crazy stuff. You know what I mean? Like, and I ended up in the hospital actually, because I stayed up so late one, I think for three or four days in a row, I never went to sleep. Um, and we got through the record and, you know, we got an opportunity with this move, movie Airheads. So we got, we did the song Born to Raise Hell for Airheads. And I think that it did well for Lemmy, that song. Yeah. And I just, you know, I got through the record. Like I survived. I think that was why he hired me to do the next record. And then he hired me to do the next record. Yeah. And, I, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, I know you did four albums with them. Four, and, yeah. and I'm listening to this story the first time you worked with them. And I'm thinking, how the hell do you end up on albums two, three and four? Uh, well, let me said something in Billboard. He said, I love working with Howard. He's the best arguer I know. That was his <laughs> mentality. And he loved to argue with me. And I just argued back with him. And I think also because I was, you know, somewhat... I had an aerospace degree. That's where I went to Drexel. I have a degree in aerospace and I could hold my own intellectually with him because he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah. He just, um, he, he was just uh, completely different from anybody I'd ever met. And I, I, it was intriguing for me to work with a guy like that. You know, like I was also needed yeah. the work, to be honest, for Bastards. Like I, I was looking for work and Todd was like, well, if you do it for like, you know, so much little bad of money, they need a producer that'll survive the production, really. They weren't even on a label. They were thrown off of uh, Epic at that time, I believe. And so I was doing it for like ZYX, this label. We never even heard of these guys, you know. So I think it was more self-funded, that label, that record. And then when they started, you know, that record did okay. We just started doing more and more. And every two years, like clockwork, I was doing a Motorhead record. Like it was almost like I did a record, they disappeared for a year and a half or something. I'd come back and do another record, they disappear. I'd come back and do another record, disappear. Finally... In 1999, I think the last record I did was Snakebite Love or something like that or Overnight yeah. Sensation. I can't remember. I kind of mentally checked out at that point a little bit because I started having hits, like like major label hits with P.O.D. and bands like that. So my career had been like kind of like this and all of a sudden it went like that. And I wasn't making any money with Lemmy and it was a pain in the ass, to be honest. But I still I still appreciated working with him, you know, like. So uh, I know that there was a guy named Cameron who – Todd had known who like he inserted into the space for me and Cameron was able to put up with him, you know, and <laughs> Todd, Todd and I were fr friends also because I found Zebrahead and I got Todd to manage Zebrahead. So there was like a lot of right. incestuous stuff going on with the Zebrahead motorhead stuff. And, you know, um, I worked with Lemmy on uh, some stuff with Dave Grohl later on down the line. Um, ah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So um well, we tried to do something with Dave did it with Lemmy, but Lemmy tried to do it with Dave. It never worked out that, ah, part, that right. combination. But um, yeah, I mean, and then I ran into Lemmy about a year after overnight uh, after Snake by Love and at the uh, Grammy Awards, because I think he was nominated for uh, the cover of the Metallica song. And uh, I hadn't seen him in a while. And I was actually happy to see him. Like I liked Lemmy as a per like, um, I got along with him okay enough. And uh, the other guys in the band, I feel, you know, got along okay. Wurzel, unfortunately, passed away. And Mickey D was the sane one in the band. But I saw these guys at the um, forum, I, I mean, at the Staples Center, and they were walking towards me. And I was walking the other way, and Lemmy had the belt on with his stomach, and, you know, the whole look and everything, the warts and all that. And I said, I was with my wife, and I said, hey, nice, Lemmy, it's good to see you. I haven't seen you in a while. And he looks at me, and he goes, fuck you, Howard, and walks right by me. And my wife goes, that is fucking awesome. Like, you got called out. <laughs> and, and a lot of it was like, Lem did not like to be abandoned. 
he had a big abandonment. Most people don't know that about him, but that's right. why he kept yeah. the same management, yeah. same people. And and I he looked at me as I abandoned him after four records. I looked at it like I survived four records. You know, his it's, point of view was like, why did you leave me? It's you it's, know? Fu- it's funny you um it's funny you say that because um either intuitively or counterintuitively what plays alongside that is that Lemmy never he never bought anywhere. He never bought property. He never owned property. No, he owned he lived in a hotel. A little apartment that I was in many times on, um, I forget the name of the place right down the street from the Rainbow, you know, his apartment there, which was like, man, when he passed away, they must have had to like, I don't know what they did with that apartment. They probably had to like (laughs) send in fumigators and, you know, but one thing I found out about people like, and Lemmy, Lemmy was the first one really that I kind of worked with like that, you know, they don't, they're probably the most tolerant people in the world when you get down to it. Like when you really talk to an artist one-on-one, they're very, most of them, I think are very tolerant. So that's a, and- that's a very, um, that's a very shrewd observation, actually. And I think you, I think you're absolutely spot on because I think oh. ultimately you can only survive in a band if you have a high tolerance level, because you're going right. to be, you're going to be enclosed with the same people for many, many hours or many days. Yeah. And let, let me, he gave me a book that I still have somewhere about the British royalty. It's like this thick and it's like Pete, it's small print, like who begot who, like he loved that shit and he loved yeah. world war two and he loved world war one. He's, he was a student of that information, which is why when you listen to the music, there's so many references to that stuff in his records about, yes. you know, bomb dive bombers and, you know, those type of you know the lyrics a lot of the lyrics are all about that kind of thing you know yeah i, I remember on uh bastards he really wanted to have i i uh found a foley uh pit and i got it into the studio so we could make the sound of people marching and if you listen to that record you hear the say that's actually him i have a picture of him marching yeah it's him and uh wurzel marching in the foley pit <laughs> so it sounds like uh stormtroopers marching you know yeah yeah. One day, in fact, he wanted me to do a guitar solo with Verzel. And I liked the Verzel guitar solo and he didn't like the solo. We argued about it because he just wanted to argue with me about everything. Right. So uh, <laughs> one morning, him and him and Phil are dressed in white stormtrooper outfits and they march into the studio, like right past the console. And they turn around and they have the whole thing and they turn around and they keep marching. And I'm there trying to do my mixing and shit. And then I don't even look up because I know he's trying to fuck with me, you know? Yeah, yeah. And he looks at me and he puts his, he bangs his hand on the thing and he goes, I looked up, I said, what's going on, Lem? And he goes, I let you live. And then he marched out, right? And I still kept his bellow, <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> I, you know. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I ran into Tom Penunzio later and Tom had done one of the records and he goes, you know, the reason they have that clause in your agreement that says if the artist uh, doesn't, show up or he doesn't i don't know he doesn't behave then you are not bound by the um financial thing it's called the motorhead clause that's in <laughs> producer agreements now that's basically super. if you walk because of behavior you get nothing that's right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's uh <laughs> fa- fancy that clause appearing yeah um that's amazing. Now, did it actually get easier to work with uh, with Lemmy over the years and with the band over the years, um, or was it a constant kind of intellectual? No, it got tennis? easier because well, it's because the first record I think I was the most involved with personally. But then I brought in some pretty good engineers and people who I could put in front of me between the me and them, 
right. who were mixing like, um, you know, Mark Dernley and I think a guy named Ryan Dorn engineered some of the stuff. And some of the stuff I wasn't as on the front line. I was always on the front lines in rehearsal to do yeah. the songs. But like, as far as punching the stuff, the guitars and bass, a lot of times I just couldn't deal with it. So I would just let them do it. But I always did the vocals. Like that was my thing with him. I always cut vocals with him. And that's kind of the way I am as a producer now anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was kind of weird. Like uh, we used to mix the records with Lemon. Uh, I have a picture of Lemon Phil at the desk and Tom, Tom had told me this trick. He said, make sure you disconnect you put some faders on the desk to say bass guitar and that Lemmy and Phil can, cause you know, they're, they were never happy with anything. Right. So yeah, yeah. just, but just disconnect them from the audio feed. Yeah. So I did that and Brilliant. it would just think they were doing shit and that nothing was happening. So <laughs> we would just print the mix after they were happy. <laughs> That's you know? great. That's I mean, Lem had no bottom end left in his hearing anyway. So he wanted his bass mid range. Like he wanted to hear, he wanted his bass to be the guitar essentially yes. that's yeah well that's, that's why he played it like one. Well. No. yeah he just strummed the bass you know yeah so yeah those were interesting times man i learned you know because uh, people say to me how do you put up with all this shit you've done 160 albums how do you put up with people and i said well there were two bands who were formative one of them was uh motorhead and the other one was ice tea and body count and i got oh, through man. both those records and those records are really difficult to get through person like i had to like adjust my thinking yeah. to be around, you know, these Welsh, crazy Welsh guys, you know, the motorhead guys and yeah. all that. And these, you know, crazy guys from the hood who were carrying guns and, you know, talking language I couldn't even understand at the time, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, Ice-T had to give me a buy a, a word document, glossary. So I was like, understood what he was talking about. Hmm. So, but once you get through records like that, you sort of, um, you know, everything else after that, come on. Yeah. You know, Really, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, look, you're nothing. You're, no, you're yeah, you're not going to test me. It's interesting. You know what I got though from Lem? I got a pe- so Lemmy got mad at me one day, and he had a fuzz tone pedal, like yeah. from the original yeah. Univox fuzz box, and he goes, "This pedal sounds like shit," like, and he throws it in the trash, right? And about the next day, I noticed the pedal still in the trash. They hadn't taken the trash out, so I figured, well, it's my pedal now. He doesn't want it, right? So I pulled it out of there. And to this day, we still use this pedal. Like this pedal wow, like, really? is the greatest pedal ever. It is a unicorn pedal from like the 1960s. And we just <laughs> didn't want it anymore. Yeah. It doesn't even have a cover on it, but we call it the motorhead pedal. That's you know? awesome, man. Yeah. That is, and, you, and presumably, you've got to tell the story every time somebody is like, hang on, I know what we need here. I know and what we need. This is yeah. the pedal. Yeah. yeah, and you've people got, love I'm, it. They don't even care what it sounds like. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You well, know? we know. You know what musicians are like. No, no, fuck it. I've got to use it anyway. It's like yeah. it doesn't. Yeah, just so I can say I've used it, and of course, so I can credit it on the record and say that. Yeah, I've used exactly. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So, um, it, it, I was. I noticed when you were talking about um, bringing new producers in when you were working with Motorhead. Funnily enough, you too slipped into a sort of wartime vernacular and you described the, um, you described the front line working with Motorhead on the front line. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like, like, you know, Lemmy's fascination with war or even sort of seeps into the people close to him. And it's like, it is, it's, it's that kind of, do you think it was, he was seeking confrontation or he was just seeking a challenge in you? You know, um, I don't really know where it came from, but I think he was just, you know, uh, wanted to be 
wanted to be uh, respected, I think, a lot. And I, you know, like one thing I noticed before we did every record, every session, he would always come in with a Hawkwind's tape, the Hawkwind cassettes and the Hawkwind stuff. And he always wanted to me to listen to Hawkwind. Like he, like that was like his big thing. And right. sometimes I would get annoyed by it. Like, I'm like, come on, man, we got to work on this record. And I think he just like, he wanted, I think authority was not something he was great at, obviously. And I was in the position <laughs> of, you know, authority kind of like coaching an, a team where yeah. you're not really hired, you know, the team get you fired anytime, but you're supposed to yeah. coach them, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I know that I, Mickey, Mickey dealt with it in his own way. Mickey would record drums without Lemmy there. He just did all the tracks by himself with headphones on. He learned every arrangement and he would just go in, play the parts, knock them out in two days. And he was out of there. Like we never saw Mickey at all, but he was uh, kind of like more of a hired gun at that point, you know? So, it, but it's interesting that you say about being a coach because ultimately there's the, there's a certain amount of professional distance that you've got to maintain and absolutely and, and, and you're not a cheerleader you're not a friend you're there right. to you are there to get the best out of them and sometimes they ain't gonna like that no and they get he got let me you know I think he just look it was interesting the comedy made in Billboard that he loved that he loved that I could argue with him I think he just thought that was sport <laughs> to him. Like yeah. that wasn't anything bad. He wasn't yeah. trying to be a yeah. dick or anything. He just loved, you know, he would just go after me and I'd go after him. Like I just thought, <laughs> but it was all kind of like for somewhat, you know, I, I think it actually kept the temperature down actually in the studio. Like we never got that mad at each other, you yeah. know, like he would do things because he knew that in his world, in his world, marching as a stormtrooper across the, the, the thing was funny. Yeah. To me, I had to get to learn that kind of humor, like, okay, yes. that's, you know, yeah. like what kind of humor is going on here, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah, no, 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 I, I, I understand that. I understand that because that's not exactly behavior you're expecting from a band. No, 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 no. Yeah. I, and I mean, th th those experiences, as if you said, they've, you know, they've informed how, you know, how, how you've worked. Um, and you say the way you the way you work now is you know you will always record um, the vocals. Um, what was it like um, with Lemmy in the booth? Was um, was it was it a lot of push and pull? Would he, you know? You know, he was really uh, interesting because the one thing I learned from him that I hadn't seen before was that well, first of all, he sang with the mic pointed downward. Yeah, which that is, is really. Bizarre, you yes. know, because you yeah. kind of that constricts your throat, but that's sort of partly why I think he liked doing it. Like his sound was, he he went up into the mic and supposed yeah. to straight, straight into it. But when we did, uh, you know, one of the things I tried to do was get him to enunciate better, which was hard to do because he had such a throaty, he was smoked so much. I mean, he was a smoking, like his diet was like cigarettes, Jack Daniels and speed. That was kind of like what we, and potato chips. Like that's pretty much what he took most of the time. And, you know, so singing wise, it definitely rubbed off on his voice. But what he did after that was when we did harmonies, he could never sing a harmony that I wrote out for him. He sang whatever came into his head. Yeah. So like there's a song yeah. called, on the first record, uh, called, um, you know, on your, on your feet or on your knee. The first opening cut on Bastards, On Your Feet or On Your Knees, I think it is. And he goes, um, he sings the harmony and like the main vocal is this and he's singing this so the harmony is 
which is something I would never do. It's a, it's, it, because normally you would sing this and you'd sing like a harm a third or a fifth or a fifth or a fourth. But he's singing like that. And yeah. he didn't know he was doing that because he turned off the other vocal and he just sang another melody on top of it. And these two things are coming together. And it's so cool yeah. and different that I yeah. started using that stuff. Yeah. Like, and I said, well, Lem can do it, you know. And so Lemmy, he was not a harmony. Uh, he just sang an alternate melody, and that was the harmony. That was but, it. That, yeah, but that, that's, that's really interesting, though, because that's, that's unique. It's so unique. And it, it, was, it made me kind of rethink a little bit of like, I mean, I still like to do it traditionally, like how harmonies work. But I will go with some of those seconds and like what he was doing, sevenths and things like that. I don't even know what he was doing, but he was doing yeah. them, you know. I'll tell you, he used to drive crazy the mastering engineers. Oh, my God, did he torture them. <laughs> like, I'm so glad I was beyond that. At the, uh, the record was out of my hands at that point. Yeah. But he would make the mastering engineers remaster those records over and over and over and over because he, he heard what he heard, you know. Yeah. Like he wanted to hear the certain tone that was whatever was left in his. I think what was happening is here is, is hearing and supposing like that was cratered because he had so much loud noise that he just yeah. couldn't hear things. So the mastering guys would have to crank these mid range up, you know, and these records would sound bastards. I got away with it a little bit without him being too involved. But um, the other ones, he got more and more involved with it. So, you know. At some point after four records, familiarity breeds contempt. You know what I mean? Like we were too familiar yeah. with each other. I wasn't getting my point across yeah. anymore. He wasn't listening. I figured it was time anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you, so. you end up in a place where it's like, oh, I can't be bothered. And he's in a place where it's like, well, yeah, and I'm not bothered. I'm not listening. Yeah, yeah. So it's just, yeah, yeah I, I guess at that point it is, it's time to, it, it's time to walk away and, uh, and just move on. But um, but I mean, what an incredible story! And I'm and that's amazing about Lemmy's voice as well. I mean, I'm a I'm a singer myself, and um, it's to to hear that is absolutely fascinating because the thing yeah, is, it's, it, crazy. it's it well, the thing is, it's 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 an instrument, and if that was if it was if it was anything other than a voice, it would just sound wrong, right? Right? You, you know, it'd be like, no, don't do that. That's you, you, your, your fingers in the wrong place, you know, but because well, it's fun, Lemmy sold you know? it, he, he yeah, sold everything. Yeah, like yeah. he's still, you know, even his bass playing as crazy as it was, like he sold, like, that's what I always say to my artists. Like he may not have been the most listenable guy in the world and all this kind of stuff, but you knew that he meant every note he played this guy. He hasn't, he had no, there was never anything he did halfway, you know? And, yeah, yeah. you know, I used to joke with him and say to him that, uh, you know, his intransigence made him almost unsellable. Like he, you could never get him to do a hit song. Like if you just brought him a hit song, he just wouldn't do it. He didn't give a shit one way or the other. I call, I, and I used to joke with him too. I said, you're the most unrecouped artist in the music business. <laughs> like people spend all this money on you and you don't sell any record. You have like one song <laughs> or two songs that have done anything, you know? Yeah. And yet, yet what he did sell a lot of was tickets and merch. Like he, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah, but he was, yeah, but he was way ahead of the curve on that one. Oh, because that's, that's all anyone sells anymore. Yeah, and Todd Singerman did a great job. Todd got his his touring back in the uh, in Europe again. Like yeah. made sure he was in Europe more than he was here, and the Europeans loved him. I mean, yeah. when he played like Germany and played, you know, uh, you know Wembley and all these places, he was just massive. 
at these yeah. shows bigger than here you know here he was big but not like that you yeah. know yeah. so i remember him i remember him getting on stage with metallica at the o2 um on the death magnetic tour and it was probably the biggest cheer of the night yeah and it's just yeah, like... i was at the whiskey for his birthday and metallica all got up there with lemmy uh oh, awesome things on i forget what it was they were all dressed like oh they all had warts on they did the whole lemmy thing <laughs> and uh oh. tribute I think I, I think I remember seeing that in the press at the time. Yeah, I was at that show, actually. I think it was his 50th birthday at that point, you know. Yeah. And he lived, uh, I remember I was, saw him at the, um, what did I see him at? State, oh, the Universal Amphitheater. And um, when it was there, I think it's gone now. But, like, he was really sick that day, and he was almost in a coma. And I remember Todd, they tried to get him off of all these drugs and drinking and they realized that they needed to keep him on all this shit just for him to survive <laughs> so they put him all back on all of it and he was able to live the rest of his life but he never they could never get him off he had died he had a lot of he, the fact that he lived as long as he did is a miracle yeah actually you know yeah. we i used to tell him that the reason he lived so long is that his blood had so much alcohol in it that no disease he probably so wouldn't have gotten covid at this <laughs> point you know yeah. so yeah <laughs> viruses whatever it's not going to touch you no no he was <laughs> he was immune to that you know yeah no it's and he he was kind of like um i don't know he was he was almost kind of like an elvis kind of uh kind of character in uh you know in the in the hard side of you know rock music oh absolutely um, yeah but 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 also he was kind of like that um i don't know he's he's the almost the anti-hero the the guy you're rooting for in the western and you're not well, quite sure why you're rooting for him you know yeah he liked like Stu skiskin Stu siskin yeah this band he used to bring this up to me all the time i want to have Stu siskin on this record i'm like who the fuck is that and he just liked the girl <laughs> in the band so like he didn't think like he Brilliant. didn't know anybody that was like in the like you know he he just didn't use fame for himself. He just wanted to, he just liked people. If he liked, you were part yes. of the people, you know? Yeah. That was a, he was a very genuine individual, you know? Like, yeah. And I know. think, I think, um, and again, I think it sounds, it sounds like a cliche, but a lot, you know, cliches are usually cliches because they're true. But in the, in the music business, that is incredibly rare. It's very rare. Yeah. He was the real deal. That's why he was like an Elvis. He was sort of the, you know, when Lemmy walked into the room, it was, you knew it was him, man, and he was the real deal. It was Lem, you know. Yeah. I loved yeah. it at the uh, whiskey. I mean, at the um, Rainbow that you can go there, and they have all this stuff for him. So it's still at the Rainbow, you know. Yeah. They have a statue of him and all kinds of stuff, and you know. Yeah, it's awesome, yeah. man. I was I I, I was uh, played a venue recently with my band, and they had a they had a Motorhead bar, and it's an affiliated Motorhead bar, and there was two pairs of Lemmy's boots in there. In, oh um, wow! And there's people getting pictures, you know, taking selfies with yeah. with a glass case with Lemmy's boots in it, and it's like, yeah, that's that guy made an impression. Oh yeah, he just was like, in a, you know, I don't think you could even like. There's not like anybody like him that'll ever kind of come around again. Like the real, like a yeah. real a guy that basically doesn't care about selling records or any of that stuff. All he cared about was like rocking out every night. That was yeah. it. Yeah, you know, yeah, that was this whole thing. And, so. and, and and yeah, to throw another cliche in, they don't make yeah. him like that anymore. And no, no, yeah. no. It's well, amazing that his band survived as long as they did with him. But you know, it's too bad for Wurzel. Though I remember I liked Wurzel a lot. He was a good guy. 
you know. He, yeah, he, yeah. You know. I, I've, everybody, every, everyone who was in the band, no one, no one seems to have a, you know, um, a bad word to say about them. You know, they were all very genuine people. And um, yeah, uh, you know, you look at the length the, the, of the, the existence of Motorhead and you think how few musicians were in that band over that period of time. That's quite something. Yeah. Yeah, Verzel was an interesting character. He actually was the only guitar player ever had that fell asleep while he was playing a solo. <laughs> we actually had to wake up. He had he was playing. I'm not kidding. This is like something that you would think would That's never brilliant. happen. He's just playing, and I think Mark was somebody the engineer at the time was looking over because we're he's a state like we weren't looking at him, but we hear this long sustaining note, and it's just going on forever. And I'm like what's he doing right and I looked at him and he had passed out and he just sustained this note and it just kept sustaining like you know and so that's of course Lemmy, Lemmy went crazy and he used to fight with Verzel more than anyone I don't know what he had I think uh the two of them went back further I think than uh the other guys so you know. so um so if you've got if you've got the motorhead fuzz box presumably when you want somebody to do an extra long sustain on a note you ask yeah. them to do a whirl and they they haven't got a clue what you mean <laughs> i'll probably start using that i haven't actually put that in the vernacular yet but yeah oh dude you've got to add it to the motorhead dictionary yeah yeah, yeah. you've got to get a motorhead dictionary and and, and make one like like uh, like ice t gave you for body yeah. count yeah we need a, we need a, a motorhead uh well, dictionary. <laughs> cool. uh, i'll tell you one thing i missed the guy he was a good he was interesting dude like he was one of a kind for sure yeah. you know yeah. i enjoyed doing born to race hell with him because i remember him on the stage with with uh, ice t and whitfield crane from ugly kid joe and him doing that movie uh cameo and that was such a great moment for him i think he really enjoyed that like yeah. being the motorhead is god part the whole thing like that was yeah. big you got to i was on the set that day you got to meet adam sandler and everything and it was pretty neat howard that was brilliant can't thank you enough mate thank you very much all right man if you need anything else let me know thanks a lot dude cheers right, okay bye see you bye bye well i hope you enjoyed listening to that as much as i did doing it it's tradition that i say this after every interview and i mean it I really do. I mean, I got to sit down and have a chat and talk Motorhead and Lemmy with Howard Benson on Zoom one morning. How cool is that? Believe me, believe me. If you are if you are listening to this thinking, God, I bet it's really cool doing that. It is. It is. And hopefully it's really cool to listen to as well. Um, you've all been so supportive. Please keep supporting the podcast. Remember to subscribe. If you're listening to this, wherever you're listening to this, there will be a subscribe button. So have a hunt for it. Press subscribe. And that will make sure that an episode of the Motor Pass comes down into your device, whatever it may be, wherever it may be, every fortnight. We keep delivering these every two weeks. We're really enjoying doing it. I hope you're really enjoying listening to them. It seems so, so far. Please spread the word. Tell everybody that you know that there is a Motorhead podcast. If they're not already listening to it, then they need to be listening. And once again, thank you so much to all of you for all of your support. It is awesome doing this and keeping the motorhead family together alive and digging into some of these memories and some of these stories that i'm sure wouldn't get out there otherwise so thank you very much guys really looking forward to speaking to you again very soon on the motorcast i don't say agreed the only god i need is the ace of spades the ace of spades